ride with me in my foul life. What's up, what's up, what's up? Snow Goose Hunters, I hope you're ready for this one. I got a special edition of the Foul Life Podcast headed your way right now. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you for supporting the partners and sponsors that continue to support all of our brands here at the Foul Life. And this life ain't for everybody. The Foul Life TV, Banded, and Jargon, and Avery, and Avery Sporting Dog, and Greenhead Gear. Thank you guys so much. It's humbling to say the least. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you once again by our friends and family at Gerber, Gerber Gear, Gerber Knives, Gerber Blades. Y'all know my feeling on a knife. If you're a provider, you have a knife everywhere from your jeans, your backpack, your blind bag, your truck, your boat, your UTV, your ATV. We carry a knife, an axe, a machete, a saw. If you're a hunter, a gatherer, a fisher, a provider, you always have to have a dependable knife and tool on you. And that's exactly what Gerber Gear gives us the confidence to have that blade in our hands at our side at all times whether we're building the blind or cutting the breast off a mallard to put it in that grease or on that Traeger Gerber check them out American made right in the badass state of Oregon West United States and if you've never hunted ducks or geese in the state of Oregon consider giving it a try because the Willamette Valley Savi Island even eastern Oregon way over on the east side of the state has got some killer mallard duck hunting and killer can of goose hunting so check them out and please continue to support Gerber because they look after us they support the culture of the American duck hunter the American goose hunter the American waterfowl hunter maybe not the American snow goose hunter no I'm just kidding they really do I had to tease our guest today my guest today is a good buddy of mine he hails from all places when you think of this city, you're going to think of things like surfing. You're going to think of Snoop Dogg. You're going to think of Sublime. This man is living in Long Beach, California, and he drives all the way up to next to the Butte, St. Calusa, the I-20 corridor, Chico, Durham, the rice fields, the Sacramento Delta, and he's got a huge passion for chasing waterfowl. Brian Keller, welcome. How are you, buddy? I'm great, Chad. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. You look good, buddy. You been working <laughs> out or what? Yeah, a little bit, you know, trying to keep fit. How what are you, you? Oh, man, I've been I've been really getting after it a little bit. Couples, I do. I average two to three sit ups and seven to eight push ups a day. That's what I like to keep it at. I like to keep my average <laughs> there. So what the push ups are like, the push ups huh? are when you get out of bed. The yeah. sit-ups are when your brother makes you laugh. Yeah. And what was the third thing? Curls when I drink a beer. There you go. Perfect. You're I have my whole up. workout plan. So what are we april april are you are you a, a conservation snow goose guy or do they even have that in california do they have that they the, the season yeah they do they have a five-day extended season and it's two weeks after the season ends and um we hunt that extremely hard we guide my partner and i um we're the owners of yeah yeah calls snow goose calls here in california developed in southern california uh, throughout the state and uh, we hunted that five-day extended season this past year, and it treated us really, really good. It kind of did a flip for us, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit. Uh, from the regular season, which has been, as everybody knows, the last two years have been a little bit of a challenge with snow geese. Uh, bad hatch in 2018-19 season, and then in the 19-20 season, we thought, man, we've got this wonderful hatch, and then we go into this five-day extended hunt, and we do really good. But during the normal season, it was, it was hit or miss, so... Um, yeah, we have a five-day extended season that uh, treats us real well. Uh, I wish it was longer, but the, there is an extended season that you can go up to uh, the northeast zone. So you can go up to the northeast zone, and that season's another two or three weeks for some of the guys that continue to chase the speckled belly geese and the snow geese up in that northeast zone. Y'all didn't do that one, though? 
we didn't do that this year and we haven't done it yet. You know, we've thought about it. Um, but you know, unfortunately I was going to move to Idaho. Um, long story short is I'm sitting in an empty room where all 40 of my mounts were, uh, this is my office at home. And I had all 40 of my mounts in here, took them all out, emptied our house out. And I was going to do this podcast from a pod that's sitting on my driveway. Well, it was, it's 97 degrees out there, a little bit bad connection. The Wi-Fi didn't work. So we jumped back in here, but, uh, I was going to jump up to Idaho, move there. The virus hit. We had a for sale sign in our front yard that said coming soon. And uh, we decided to take it off the market because it hit, literally hit the virus. We put the sign in the front yard, the virus hits. And my wife and I are sitting there looking at each other two weeks later going, yeah, it's probably not the best time to leave. Uh, our situation got shattered, not the selling of the house. So, so you, you're moving to Idaho because you're tired of the hustle and bustle. I think that that's the obvious answer. But yeah. if you if you love the snow geese like you do, and that's what your company's based upon, why are you moving to Idaho when they really don't get after the snow? I mean, they have some snows, but nowhere near California. Why would you take your passion and move? Are you going to develop more of a passion for the Canadas and the Mallards on the Snake River Corridor? Is that your plan? You know, I was my, my goal was to kind of twofold. I kind of wanted my cake and eat it too. I wanted to go up in Idaho, go up to Idaho, and I wanted to live there because to me it's a much better state, not to knock California whatsoever. California's been wonderful to me, but it's the hustle and bustle, it's the taxes, it's the it's the politics, it's it's every bit of that. But there are snow geese in, in, in Idaho, not so much in the fall. We kind of they kind of miss them in the fall, but their con- conservation hunt is really, really good. They get they get after them for two or three weeks up there. I have a few friends that are up there. I uh, was talking to them consistently this year, you know, every other day. And they were saying they were getting after them. One day was kind of hit or miss, but um, it seemed like the birds, once they got there, they got to relax a little bit. And those guys did pretty well. But my true goal was is to live in Idaho and make that same drive down to Northern California, like I do from Long Beach with no traffic, not getting up there on the late on a Friday night and then guiding for two days or three days and then coming home. So I was going to do my, eat my, have my cake and eat it too by being up there and driving down to Northern California on my days off, drive home, hunt the Snake River Mallards, get after the honkers with a few buddies I know up there and kind of learn the landscape. I want to get after the elk and the deer versus what I get to do down here in the summer is my elk and deer for Southern California is chasing tuna right here on the ocean, which is five miles from my house. Which is awesome. So, which is absolutely which is awesome. Which brings me to my next question. I'm glad you yeah. mentioned that. Is there some headed here soon? I need some pokey meat. You got it. No problem. Do you have some? Uh, I don't have any yet. We were going to go out Sunday to chase. Some people call them bottom fish. They're not a bottom fish. They're a rock fish. And, you know, stripers. I'm sorry. Stripers. No, they're rock fish. So they're reds. Like on the East coast, they call them um, red snapper. That's different from this. We go a little bit deeper, anywhere from hundred feet down to 200 feet. You use a two hook ganyan. You're using either fresh squid or live anchovies or sardines. And you're catching really nice reds, pure white meat and cold water. We got to some of the islands that are, they're not local. They're 20, 30 miles out, but you know, you make that trek. It's a long day. Are they by Catalina? Yeah. Catalina, Santa Barbara Island, and a few others that we go to. You know, on the East coast, like around the Chesapeake Bay and Maryland and that area up there, rockfish is in the ocean is a striper. That's crazy. Yeah. I go up there. I go up there for Benelli meetings and they take me out. They're like, we're going to go catch rockfish. And then when we reel one in there, striper. And I'm like, this is a striped bass. And they're like, yeah, we, they get an influx of them there in the, in the brackish of of the inlets there and they, and they hammer them. But yeah, they're just stripers like you would catch in the Sacramento river. 
they get some monsters there, just like exactly like they do in the Delta and the Sacramento River. And we eat the heck out. I just got a little shipment up by my buddy Brad. Just set me up with some chowder meat with my stripers. Striper's really good. But so back to what we were talking about, if you don't mind me asking, why why not make the transit? You're a California guy. You're already used to paying all those state taxes. The state sucks for politics. It sucks to be a sportsman in the state because your government doesn't take care of you. And I would say it any day until I'm blue in the face. The victory last night with the NRA and the ammunition bill is awesome. awesome. Richard Um, fought for us, did it again. It's two times in a row. You you know, they're going to go back and fight against the state of California will, but Hey, you know, Rogers 40 goods and people like that, big outfitters in California, all over the place. You know, they're, they're throwing up big Facebook pages and, and, and IG, you know, posts about, hey, come buy the ammo or free again, you know, which is awesome. It's a good feeling. We'll see how long it lasts. It'll last. It's going to last. So why wouldn't you move up into the duck country and where the snow goose hunting is awesome, where you go to do 90 percent of your hunting? I know you, you get in the sea a little bit and you get around the Bay Area once in a while, but your main your main source of hunting for you personally is that that Delta North of. Yeah the rice country and the butte sink and the, in the highway 20 quarter, why wouldn't you move up there? Concentrate your snow goose efforts there. The puddle ducks are there. You have good mule deer hunting there. You have good blacktail hunting there. You have antelope hunting there. You're right next to Nevada, which has some of the best Rocky mountain elk hunting in the world. You're just South of Oregon. Why would you go all the way to Idaho when you already are know the California way and you love snow goose hunting? Well, and again, I would say this to answer that question, I would say is I did, you know, part of me will always be in California. Wait, wait, and, let me finish my last part of that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. No, and, and you're in your, in your, you're a very successful businessman and your business is right there. You could still stay. And I'm not saying you couldn't work your business from Idaho, but you could still stay relevant with your customer base in the state of California. Yep. Uh, unless you're trying to expand big time into Idaho. I don't know what the plans are, but I just, I'm trying to figure out why would you move to Idaho when you already are, are you're based there, unless you're just going to come out and say that California sucks to live in. I will say this, Northern California, the rice country, that corridor that you talked about, Calusa County, the Delta, once you get past, when you get around the bend of Wright and Tracy, okay, which is on the I-5 corridor, it's a whole different state. And I'm talking... You're talking east of San Francisco, way east of San Francisco by a couple hours. You feel like you're in a, I'll put it this way. When I'm driving northbound and I get an up and over the grapevine, if anybody knows where the grapevine is in Southern California, you feel like a free person because you've just fought all that traffic. You've had to get up at 3.30 in the morning to miss the traffic, okay? And even when you do miss the traffic, they're probably working on the freeways down to one lane. You're lucky to skip that. So, um I've thought about Northern California. I still think that Idaho would be a great spot for my wife and I, my boys, because here's the deal. In California, if I could show you some of the houses in my track, you go, for $750,000, I'm not going to buy a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. And I'm talking 1,700 square feet, by the way, that's been there since 1954. And so maybe the kitchen's been redone in a bathroom or two. Um, Yeah, you sell your house down there, you buy seven or eight of them in Idaho. Possibly, you know, I mean, <laughs> or some property or some property. My, our goal was to buy a house and a, and a housing tract and then buy some land outside of that work to put a nice shop. Um, something like what Merlot has out, you know, up, up in, up in Chico. But, um, the, you know, mainly was probably just to get our boys into a spot where they could be in a, let's just call it more of a safe zone, uh, more affordable, a better lifestyle for them. 
and their kids growing up. Cause who, who knows what California is going to be like in 20 years. And the one thing that I like to call California in regards to waterfowl hunting, it is the last stand. It's the last stand period. There's no other state like it. There's no other culture like California except for New York. Okay. Um, and even New York doesn't have the population of LA County. You're looking at 40 million people strong in, in the state of California, which 30 million reside basically in, the, in LA County. And I'm part of LA County. Uh, you know, so to answer your question, why not Northern California where you got the puddle ducks, you got a variety of geese, you know, from Aleutians to cacklers to honkers to, you know, your, your, your lesser honkers to your lesser snow geese to your speckle belly geese to pintails up the wazoo, which we can only shoot one of, which is absolutely not for crazy. long, not for yeah. long. Um, we've got green wing teal, blue wing teal, not a lot of blue wings, a lot of cinnamon, which a lot of people, I could go on and on. So it's kind of the melting pot of ducks and geese. Why would I want to leave that? It's for my family, plain and simple, and be able to come back to it. My parents still live here. By the way, I was going to stay here for probably another year, fly back and forth every other weekend to see my wife and my youngest son, who was planning to go to Boise State, which those plans kind of got shattered a little bit because of this virus. My oldest son, who's doing extremely well for himself, and is probably soon in the next year or two ready to leave, leave, leave the roost. Um, and go, you know, be with his wife and create his family. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it really is, it's, it's for my kids. And I think, you know, and for my wife to kind of settle down a little bit and slow down a little bit versus the hustle bustle, which you mentioned earlier. So you don't see, you don't think that a, a place like Corning, Red Bluff, parts of Chico, Durham, you don't see your wife being happy in that area. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the fascination with Idaho. I get it. I'm just playing devil's advocate because you, sure. I, I love Idaho. I love everything about Idaho. Yeah. But, and I'm a huge, huge anti-California government guy, man. Like yeah. I, I don't like what they do in a lot of instances. I think it's asinine. Um, yeah. But in the last few, I would say in the last really the strong in the last two years, I've developed a huge infatuation with that part of California. Now, would I live there? Potentially own something there, but the taxes, they do suck. But, you know, we don't have any income state tax here, but we have higher taxes on fuel. We have high taxes on a lot of stuff in our state sure. that makes up for part of it. But, you know, as a whole, California is a very expensive state to live in. There is no doubt about it. So yeah. if that's the driving force, that's one thing. But you're a successful guy that can afford to live there. I just don't know if I could leave what I've never seen hunting like I see in California consistently. Now you sure. hear the Arkansas. Arkansas is awesome. But yeah. to be able to go into a to be able to go into all of the different habitats that the Butte Sink and the Susan Marsh or the Bay Area or the Delta or the or you know or the or the rice country have and then all the species you just named, and then a 10 bird man limit on specks and darks snows out of the ass. And then you cut, you got unbelievable widgeon hunting. Yep. You have really strong mallard hunting in spots. I just don't know if I could leave it. I kind of like it. I really think that California, I, I think California, it's not my favorite. Arkansas, right. the culture of Arkansas is my favorite. Idaho's up there, but Idaho doesn't have a duck hunting culture at all. Right. Um, but the culture and the and the 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 things about Stuttgart, they bring me back. I love it there. But it is nowhere as good a hunting as California. Right. Now they kill more mallards there. That's just because there's way more mallards there, and there's a ton there's of hunters. Yeah, and the ton, there's a ton of hunters going after them. But it is amazing how many mallards they kill in a sixty day season. That shows you how many people are hunting. 
Yeah. Um, I just don't know if I could leave that area. That area is bad to the bone. And I think that you're a mover and a shaker. As much as you want to tell me that you're all, you know, you're reaching 50. You're what, 48 now? 47. You're 47. You're, you're right. a young man. You're a mover and a shaker. You're not going to be able to go to Idaho and kick your feet up and be like, oh, this is, this is everything I thought. I, now, trust me, I love Idaho. I love Hagerman. I love Boise. I love Nampa. I love the whole Snake River Corridor. I love it all. But it would be really hard for me to leave that part of California. And that's what this discussion was about is that you've made a name for yourself. And now you got yaw yaw calls about snow geese. And yeah. now you're telling me you're living, leaving the home of Western snow goose hunting. Here's one thing you have to, here's one thing you have to understand. And you know, you know, some of my past, you know, I used to run some major companies and I, with all due respect and not sound sounding, um, like I'm boasting or bragging, I've been to the best parties in the world. I've been to the best dinners that you could ever have. And again, I mean this in the most respectful, utmost I way know. where I got sick of that. Imagine being, imagine being humbled and, uh, being, um, well, let's just say in having patience and understanding that, you know, you've been through and done all that stuff. How much more of it do I need? And that's what I, that's the question you have to ask yourself, you know, do I need to keep doing that? And do I need to keep going to all these, I've been there, done that, you know, you get accustomed to it, but do I still need that? Or do I want to slow down, go, one of my goals in life, you know, I've caught giant bluefin tuna and I'm not talking the three, four, five, 600 pounders giant for West coast. And there are some big boys out here like that. Uh, yet to hook in one of those, but I've caught hundred plus pounders on lighter line. Uh, and stuff like that. But my goal in life was really to go up. I'd like to go to a place like Idaho or even a place like Iowa or some like some place like that. I want to shoot a white-tailed deer with a bow and arrow. That's a goal of mine. It's 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 an accomplishment that I that I haven't fulfilled yet. I want to go shoot a shoot a giant elk, you know, whether it's a six by six or a seven by seven. I I want to do that. You know, and there's guys that like yourself, you'd love to go out and catch a big giant blue fin tuna. Um, but I want to go do that. And I think that I could settle down in a place like that. I miss one thing that I didn't grow up in. Well, I kind of did. If you think about 30 years ago when California was a Republican state, Ronald Reagan, people like that, um, you know, it was a wonderful state. You could go camping, you could go fishing. Now there was, there was a little bit of traffic through LA. That was it. Now you've got to fight on a Friday night, Chad, or excuse me, any night, Monday through Friday, except for when the virus, the traffic's great now, by the way. But right. Monday through Friday, 30 miles from my house in Santa Monica, if I'm coming home at, let's just call it six o'clock at night, it is two and a half hours to go 30 miles to my house. And I'm lucky to get home in two how, hours. How Eight, long? Two and a half hours. To go 30 miles? To go 30 miles. That, that during Thanksgiving, when you see, and we always say the, because we say the in California, 405 freeway, where everybody sees on Facebook and Instagram, you see all the white lights and you see all the red lights on that freeway. That's the freeway I'm driving every day. Well, get it. So go, so go ahead. No, I, I, I get it, dude. That would wear me out to the point to where, you know, you can't, that, that's just ass nine, 30 miles in two and a half hours. And it's amazing that people deal with that. And then you hear of, you know, like Kobe and his accident, but that's why he got a helicopter was because yeah. of that traffic. Right. Exactly. And he wanted to spend more time with his kids. So he'd go up yeah. to the staple center practice and then want, and then be home to pick him up from school. So, exactly. um, yeah, I get it. Um, all right. So what is it about snow goose hunting 
Now I could see the 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 conservation season, right? You got you got no plug in your gun. You got all these electronic collars, and you got no limit, and you can just sure. stack them up. And but this season is, you know, it's different. You are you targeting specs or are you targeting snows? You are you are you a snow goose hunter? I would say I'm absolutely 100 percent a snow goose hunter. Um, what has attracted me to snow geese is when my grandfather and my dad and I and my uncle, we would go down to a little refuge down by the Salton Sea, which is on the southeast tip of Southern California called Worcester Unit. It was a, re- it was a refuge. They used to grow barley and wheat. and The honkers used to be down there by the 15,000s. Um, there used to be 50,000 to 75,000 snow geese that used to use that valley. And um, the pintail, it was a pintail mecca down there. And so, uh, you know, when I started hunting down there with my dad when I was 12 years old, um, actually being able to shoot my first duck or goose, uh, our only geese down there by that time was snow geese. So, you know, a bunch of us, you know, years later, when you had that passion and driving for hunting ducks and hunting snow geese that we, that we could hunt. And if you got an occasional flock of honkers over at 25, 30 yards, you shot those, you know, that, that was a big bonus goose and you, you, you know, you were happy, but the snow geese is what we really keened in on. And so we had each year got tougher and tougher because the snow geese down there at this refuge that we hunted would kept diminishing. They kept short stopping the refuge. And then they built this unit called unit one, which is called Sunny Bono unit, which is a big refuge that you cannot hunt. And then the unit one piece is just a big closure and guys kind of hunt outside of that. But what we did is we built carts. Um, we used to use an old call called the herders call that we nicknamed the yeah, yeah call. That was a nickname. That's where our call company developed from. And that, that if you've taken that call apart, uh, the old herders call, it's a wood barrel with a, with an acrylic insert with two, two kind of old metal reeds. And it looks like a comorant beak. One's curling on top that touches the other one. It kind of vibrates and it makes this crazy sound. That's a, a high low. But when you sat there and listened to it and you listen to that call from a distance, it sounds like snow geese feeding on the ground. And then when you add in the call that we developed called adults only, that one, that call there is called the traffic control. But then you add in the adults only, we created this one that's called adults only that does the murmur, the high pitch barks, the low pitch barks. So my point in telling you about that herder's call was, and you know, leading into our call business, was is that we fought so hard with other people. There was 10 to 20 parties down there at all times. We all communicated and it was a big competition getting after the snow geese. So we, you know, years got tougher and tougher and then there was better years. You'd have an off year and then three years would be great. But we had to figure out how, how are we going to get smarter? You had to be at a check station at 3 a.m. So you had to pretty, pretty hardcore to get up at two in the morning to go chase snow geese and ducks. It was one or the other or, or both if you're hunting a ponded area, if you're lucky enough to, to draw a reservation. So our passion just developed over developing all these tools and, you know, fighting with other guys and being this competitive set. So seven, eight years ago, when my partner and I moved up to my dad and and a few others, we moved up to Northern California and we started hunting out of there just for fun, by the way. Uh, We started just absolutely kicking the hell out of these snow geese and just going, man, why haven't we been hunting up here for the last 20 years? There's so many more birds. Um, and we've been chasing that, but we took what we knew from down there and we applied the same hard work ethic and all the tools and we applied it up there and we just kept going and going. And then all of a sudden we started this guide business, but to answer your overall question, you know, why do we love hunting snow geese so much? 
it's that passion that we develop for them. Okay. Do we hunt speckle belly geese? Yes. Now we do up there. And have we learned to become pretty good, decent speckle belly goose callers? Absolutely. Are we the best? No. In snow geese, we feel very strong that we can get, if you put us underneath them, we're going to get our share. We're not going to kill them every day. Anybody's a fool to tell you that they're going to kill them every single day. Okay. We want to, that's our goal. But I, I can promise you this. We are some of the hardest working guys up in the Northern California Valley getting after snow geese and speckle belly geese. You know, we'll take a spread and we'll, we'll move it in one day. It'll take us nine hours for three of us to pick up 1200 decoys and move them 10 miles away. And we'll do that. You know, I'm working with guys that, and God bless my partners, they're in their mid fifties and they're still doing this. And they're just going, man, we probably need to start hiring some kids, but it's that passion that we've developed to, to, to really get after these snow geese over those years of doing all the things we did down here in Southern California. Now in Southern California, and the reason why we left seven years ago is because the snow geese kind of diminished down there. It was getting harder and harder and they're still having some decent years, but the problem is, is, you know, there's only four or 5,000 snow geese down there now. So when you hunt them for a month, it, it could be done after that, you know, or, you know, and then we're, and then we're just starting our season, you know, in, in the, in the first part of December, we're really getting after them. So it's just different. And then we, we started guiding a couple of years ago um, and, and go figure, we guide on the worst snow goose season in the history of snow geese that we, that we've been around anyways. Um, and last year wasn't much, much better, but we had a pretty decent year last year. But again, it goes back to that passion. And if you talk to any snow goose hunter you know, we, I see a lot of snow goose hunters on Instagram and Facebook, and there's some pretty good guys out there. A lot different, Chad, than the Midwest. A lot different. We are hunting. We are, we are trafficking wintering birds. We're not trafficking and hunting migrating birds. So in order to be on an X, if we could be on the X every day, obviously, if you had bad conditions, just gray, still skies, no wind, know anything you're gonna probably struggle you're gonna have a tough you're gonna have a tough day regardless if you're on the x but if we have the right conditions um and we're, we're on an x every day but being on the x is impossible every single day unless you have you know a massive massive network of land and leases and you're spending x amount of money to do that so we usually lease three or four fields we get after it we guide and we have some great days we some days are we don't have great days it's hunting you know that's and it's snow goose hunting it's just like anything else, you know, birds get smart, birds aren't so smart, but these, the snow geese, the one thing that I will say about them, I have a lot of respect for the snow geese because they're extremely smart. You know, they, 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 you, we've watched them over the years. Um, I'll give you an example. We hunted, we've been hunting them up in California for the last going on eight or nine years now. And the first five years was just kick ass. I mean, they come in flocks of 10 or 20, that you either come in or not. And we, you know, we'd shoot 18, 19 in a morning, just my partner and I, let's go have breakfast, come back, shoot 18 or 19 more and go, ah, then we're done. You know, we'd always fall short of our limit just on purpose, but it was, it was easy. I hate to say it, but it was easy. Now, the last two years, you know, we're seeing some changes in, in the birds. We're seeing some changes in patterns of, of what they're growing up in Northern California. And what I mean by that is, is they're still growing rice, but they're putting in more orchards. It's changing the flyway just a little bit. I think the birds are getting more and more scared to death. And I, you know, and, and, and no disrespect to people who do this, but you know, 
I, I, I have a little bit of an issue with people that are ground pounding snowies. And it, it's tough for me be, to do that because especially during the non-conservation hunts, because all you're doing is educating the birds, making them smarter and smarter for guys who really, really put the effort and hard work into. So you're so, saying that there's guys that still ditch them? They'll get in a ditch and get up on a flock and try to ground sluice them? Ditch shooting is different than ground sluicing. The, the way I think of ditch shooting is some guys jumping in a ditch and being in between grinds and pass shooting some geese. I don't have any issues with that. It's when guys sneak up on a grind and they shoot them and you're, you know, you're half a mile away and those are the birds that, you know, you're hunting. And listen, again, no disrespect to those guys. You know, that's the way you got to go after them, but it's ma- that's what's making snow geese smarter. They're getting scared to death. And, you know, I was talking to another guide a couple of weeks ago that was ordering a few more calls from us. And he says, Brian, you know, I think these birds are getting scared to death. And I go, you're exactly right, Dean. And uh, I go, we started talking about jump shooting and, he, and we both alluded to that. So at the same time, we started talking more and more about that. You know, the birds are leery enough. So what has happened with the snow geese that we've seen, especially out here in California, because they're wintering all along, you know, this, this Sacramento Delta corridor is is that they're getting pushed around, they're going in big bunches, and the, the big bunches, the noise, and the massive amount of movement. And give me an idea of your day. You, you fight this traffic, you get over the grapevine, you're in less yeah. traffic, you're headed north. You, you are, are you scouting? Are you leaving work on a Friday afternoon and you're getting up there for a group to get there Friday night and you're going to guide them Saturday and Sunday? Or give me your average. Is it a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Give me your average week during the regular season. It, it, so it, it just depends on what bookings we have. You know, if we've got a group of eight or nine coming in or we got a group of, you know, four or five coming in. And it depends on, you know, who, who, who what, when, where. But um, there's usually one of us always up there before the other, whether I'm up there or my partner's up there, we're scouting, we're taking a look at where the birds are. We have a few leases that, you know, we're taking a look at and if the birds are within the area or feeding in our field or next door field. We know we're going to have, or we should have a pretty decent day that next day. Um, we've always hunted over a, what you would call kind of a permanent spread, you know, either adding, taking away, moving into a different check back and forth. Um, hunting out of whites now has really made a huge difference. Um, it's really helped us be more mo- mobile, uh, with, with the spread and be able to move that around. But yeah, we're scouting and, and we're, and we're doing with what we have to do it. Yeah. It's not again. And, and, and again, this is not a knock on the Midwest guys, the Midwest guys to me, you know, especially during the conservation season, there's a big bland mass there. You know, there's, there's a lot of land out there. There's still a fight. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But California, everybody's like this. Everybody's bunched in. So it's not like you have 20 leases or 20, you know, uh, yes permissions to go on a, a piece of property, you know. So you can't always be on the X. And anybody who says they are, are always going to be on the X, I, I, I beg to differ with them, especially up, up where we hunt. So it's mainly, a, it's mainly a permanent spread that we're making huge adjustments to based off weather, conditions, where the birds are at on our specific ranch and making, and making those adjustments. So tell but, me how, so tell me how it goes. What time do you usually get there on a, is it on a Friday? So it just depends. It depends if I take a couple of days off from work to go up and guide, or if I'm just going to go for the, you know, the, the weekend deal, I'll leave on a Friday at three 30 in the morning. I'm there by, it takes me eight hours now because we moved our camp about 35, 40 minutes North of where we used to stay. And we'll get up there. I'll get up there 11 o'clock, 
go out and scout, take a look on Saturday, or if it's a Friday, whatever day we got a guide, I'll be there the day before my partner will be, you know, get to bed early, get up early, meet the guys usually around five, five thirty, And then we take them to the blind. The guys that we guide, they don't do a thing. We're not what they call sock hoppers. Okay. There's a, a bad term for guys who use just a lot of socks. Okay. We don't, that, again, we use some socks as well, but, um, we don't do the sock hopping thing in regards to, you know, making guys get there at midnight, set up socks for two or three hours, set up, you know, a couple thousand socks and, you know, 50 to a hundred dozen full bodies. You know, that to me, that's not a guided hunt. A guided hunt is, you know, meet the guys at their trucks, follow me. We're going to go to the field, help them get all their gear out, load their gear up into the back of our, our quad trailers, put all that gear back there, take them out to the pit or out to the middle of the field. If we're going to hunt in half whites, and get them set up so they don't have to do a thing. It's it's to us. It's, that's more of a full service deal. So um, that that is my weekend hunt. Two days, three days, and then I'm driving home. I'll give you an example. Um, I was up there for the five day extended hunt that Wednesday. I got a phone call. I had to come home. I hunted, picked up twelve hundred dozen decoys. Me and me and another guy that had hunted with me that day, and. Uh, Picked up 1,200. It's 9 o'clock at night. I left at 9.30, got home at 4 o'clock in the morning, had to be at a meeting at 8 o'clock. So, you know, we do what we do. It's grinding, you know, and it's sometimes, you know, with especially with snow goose hunting, I have a lot of respect for the, the hardcore snow goose hunters because, again, it's about that passion. If you're willing to put in the effort, the time, the work, and you have that work, work ethic, you should succeed more than not. And if you can call and make the right sounds and noises – amongst those birds. And, you know, that's one thing that I don't think everybody's figured out. And I think that we found kind of a good solid niche in the snow goose world. So if you're not what you call a quote unquote sock hopper, what are you? Or what does your spread consist of? What Our is spread consists of? You're saying our, that your spread's still going to be the socks and the full bodies, but you're not having your clients meet you there at midnight to to get them all out. That's what a sock hopper is: is that the the guide relies on the clients? And again, I don't mean any disrespect to guys who do that. You know, well, that, you kind of do. No, that's their <laughs> <laughs> that's their style, um, and that's what they do, and that's how they manage their their guiding business. But in our guiding business, again, it's full service, so we hunt over a hundred dozen full bodies. Okay. Plus, um, that's not including the speckle belly decoys that we have out the full bodies. Plus we'll add an extra, uh, 50 to 60 dozen, uh, quality socks to the spread, depending on again, wind position, whatnot, and what's going on that day. So I don't, I don't know what you call it. You call it, we call it snow goose hunters, you know? I mean, that, no, I just meant kind of the, the size of your spread, but you're hunting over a more permanent spread to where you're not trailering it after every hunt you're leaving there. You might have to switch something out to recreate a new landing like a, a right. new landing the landing hole or the the strip or whatever the approach you yep. call it you know the runway yep. um what about and then you're hiding in what you use tyvek suits like you're like a paint suit we like half tyvek suits um with with comfortable backboards okay without name branding here um we use some nice nice you can name brand backboard. i don't care what kind of boards do you use so we use the tangle free ghost lines so Tangle. the tangle-free ghost blinds without the covers and then use half whites with, with uh, camouflage bottoms and face paint, you know, or a face mask. So um, we feel that that's very effective. The all whites, what we noticed this past year from some other friends that are guides did some drone videos. The 
the all whites kind of make it look like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I mean, you're looking out there and you look at five cubes of white. These snow geese are getting accustomed to, to everything you do. If you're not blending in, it's just like mallard ducks. You know, if you're if you're not hiding it's really well in that A-frame blind and you, you got three faces sticking out, you know, that's the other thing. Guys want to see. Everybody wants to see. And that's good as long as your face is covered or you blend in with the surroundings. But, um, yeah, so half whites or in that same field will have a six-man pit, depending on the size of the party. So go back, go back real quick on the scout is what – are you comfortable with as the guy to put your clients on? Well, I can tell you this. Meaning like when you have your binoculars out, what do you have to see to call it? Like that's where we're hunting tomorrow. Well, I can tell or you. you are, wait a minute. I, I think I just messed up. You're always hunting the same field pretty much because your blind's permanent with the spread? Yes. So you're, you're not really scouting. You're just kind of seeing how far the grind is from where you're at sure. and if you're going to be able to intercept them? Yeah, three different, but you got to remember there's three different areas that we hunt. So usually we're within the quarter. We're doing a lot of trafficking on these snowies. Okay. We've always done trafficking on these snowies. That's just the way we've hunted. Um, but we've also learned in the last couple of years that we've made some major adjustments. It's, to me, it reminds me again, I'm going to go back and say it's to- two totally different styles of hunting, but mallard hunting, when they get real smart, uh, you know, we love using mojos. I know you love using mojos when we're out mallard hunting or duck hunting and they're very, very effective, but there comes a time at the time of the season. I mean, you'll hear Terry say it on his shows. You might move them a hundred yards out, right? You might make adjustments to your spread. You know, you might make your spread smaller. You might make it more realistic. You might move your socks over here because they don't look like the full body. So you might have your socks out behind you. If you got a North wind, you might have, you know, you might have them out behind you and you have your full bodies to make it look more real. So you're always making adjustments. Yeah. We're hunting that, but, what do we feel comfortable with? We'll call off hunts if we don't see the right amount of birds, whether it's 10,000, 20,000, 50,000. You know, I've had 500,000, half a million, you know, not even a quarter mile from me. I'm hunting that all day long if I'm under that traffic. There's no doubt about it. And we usually do really, really well. And then again, your results as a guide never depend on how many birds the guys shoot. And I'll tell you why. You know, with all due respect to all the past hunters that we've had, you know, some guys, you know, they're out there for the pure enjoyment of the hunt. They want to see geese. They want to talk to you. They want to learn what you've learned. They want to ask you, why do you use that Benelli shotgun? Why do you use that black cloud ammunition? You know, why do you use that style choke? Why do you use those full bodies? Why do you use these lids and these pit covers on your blinds? It's more guys would a lot. Some of the younger guys would say BS. I'm calling bullshit on that. I want to go out and I want to shoot 80 geese. That's what I want to do. And I don't blame them. That's not going to happen every day. I don't care if you're on the X or not. We want that to happen as guys. There's no more pressure on a guide or people that make snow goose calls that actually specialize in it to not shoot snow geese that day. It's terrible. It's the worst feeling in the world. There's more pressure on us. It's like when you get that first group to do it right and they shoot, whether they shoot all 50 of them or 10 of them, or they shoot none of them, you know, you did your job, but uh, really to answer your question on that is, you know, the amount of birds in the, the three ranches, again, we've called off hunts, you know, two days before and said, Hey guys, we don't have them. We're, we're we feel like we're the most honest, hardworking guides out there. Um, and you know, snow geese can do just like mallard ducks. One day they're there, you go up to Canada, you find this, you know, 200,000 feed the next day they don't come back. It's like, what happened? Did they, did they move down to the Delta from, from where we're hunting up in the rice country down to the corn overnight? What happened, you know, overnight? 
what happened? And you're sitting there shaking your head. I can tell you this. My partner and I this year, kind of last year too, but this year we had a long discussion. We had a frustrating hunt. We're grabbing our hats and we're doing this and we're shaking our heads and we're going, we're sitting on the, we're sitting on the, on the levee of our field with our heads down going, what is it? Is it the decoys? No. What did we do? What did we do five, seven years ago that we're not doing now? Is it the decoys that we're using? No. You know, is it uh, the lack of movement? No. Is it our decoys too bunched up together? Is it the weather? Is it too warm? You know, granted, we've had some warm weather. I don't believe, I don't buy into this global warming stuff, but our perfect conditions are in what we found out, okay, after doing this for eight or nine years up north is, especially for up there, and I think it goes the same for mallard hunting. I think you would agree with this. As cold as it can be without freezing over, obviously, water, but we're hunting dry fields mainly. As cold as it can be, a north wind at five to seven with the sun as bright as it can be. And we're, we're going to blaze that day. It's going it's, it's to happen. Okay. Or a south storm, especially in Northern California. Every duck hunter, every goose hunter is saying south storm, 30 miles per hour. You know, the rain's coming. We're out hunting because it's stirring up birds. It moves them. It, it, you know, the, the water's getting in the fields. Birds love to go out and feed. They're getting off the refuges and, you know, the best refuge systems, I think, in the country that holds a ton of birds. There's, you know, three to 4 million birds in, in that, that corridor. They're getting out and they're, they're getting after it. So it gives you a better opportunity. We don't like big, big wins. And you've, I know you've hunted some big wins. We all have because normally the birds are on you. It gives them too long to pick you out by the time they approach and get right. And then there's some days where you have that 15, you know, to 20, which can be just perfect some days. So, um, What's the average amount of guys you'll put in these fields? Are you are you the supersized groups, or will you take a group of two? Do you mix them, or what's the average that you have out there? And are are you shooting as a guide? Okay, so we didn't shoot the first year. Okay, we did not, and we usually don't shoot. We usually shoot cripples or backup, and that's the way we do it. If guys, well, sometimes guys will tell us, you know, customers, guys or gals, yeah, we want you to shoot. Please shoot with us. Okay, we'll shoot with you. Uh, but our main our, our main care is the customer number one, and we got to be careful and cautious and watch what they're doing. So it's not like you know the first round of geese that do come and do it right that we're standing up and blazing with them because I want to watch what he, everybody's doing, and that, and that's to me the, the the cautious, being careful, the safety side of it to me is is much more important than shooting a goose. You know, every, and I think anybody that 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 we that we know and we we hung around with uh, for many years, all the great hunters will tell you a goose or a duck is not worth a life. So but the size of the groups, it depends on what they want to do that day. If, you know, they want to, if they want to go out in six or eight, I've had, we've had bachelor parties call us and say, Hey, we've got 10 guys. We just want to go have a blast and a ball. And, you know, we want to help you and we want to do this. And so there's some guys, again, they want to experience it. You just said that you care about service hunt. I'm sorry. You just said that you care about safety of the hunters, but you take a bachelor party on a snow goose hunt. Is this no. kind of like, is this kind of like the, the hangover yeah, there's movie? No, there's no strip poles or drinking alcohol. <laughs> this is a pre-bachelor party. So. Pre-bachelor party, the yeah, festivities. No, absolutely. So but, an average of what? Give me an average. Average is usually five to eight guys. So five, Maybe including the guides? Five, though. I'm including sorry. the guides? No, no. So include, So usually there's... So my partner, Stefan, and I, we split up this last year during the conservation hunt, just to give an example. He took out five or six guys. I took five or six guys out, okay? 
So that there's six guys in a six man pit. That's perfect. Well, we happen to have a seven man pit in, in the field that I was guiding for the late season hunt. And it was almost filled up every day. So while he was hunting out in white, half whites, half camel, I was hunting out of a pit. Five, seven. What's, what's, the, what's the limit in the regular season in California? So it's 20 snow geese inside the box for speckle belly geese. What we call that, that box is, is west of I-5, or excuse me, east of I-5, the corridor between 162 all the way down to Calusa um, is three speckle belly geese, anything out. And then they close December 21st every year. And outside of that, you can shoot 10 dark geese, which is usually you're going to shoot mainly speckle belly geese. So you can shoot 30 geese in a day. It can happen. And are you, do you have a dog that's doing multiple retrieves when you get a big flock to come in? Are you hiding a dog or are you and Stefan trying to run out and retrieve all these geese and take care of the cripples? So what we do is we're again, you know, being cautious. What I'll do is I'll have guys unload their guns. We're the dogs, by the way. Um, I've, you know, I'd love to have a dog. Um, but the way we've hunted the last seven, eight years, it hasn't been, uh, addictive to have a dog to be honest with you yeah it's it's nice when you can chase long cripples but we always have our quad our quads not too far but so tell me it, why i don't understand that analogy to educate me on why it's not conducive to have a dog i would say it's, it's always conducive to have a dog i hadn't had the time i'm too busy to have a dog nor do i have the room for one would i love to have a yellow lab that blends in with the but why could couldn't you do so, again here i am playing the devil's advocate sure. but couldn't you couldn't you have it to where you keep it at the trainer all year and then when it's duck season or goose season he comes out and stays at a kennel up there and he's and he's uh, readily available for every hunt i guess we could you know but i think that you know i'd rather have a the dog be also somewhat of a a family dog as well i mean being around yeah but brian i know you you'd be feeding him fat scraps from the table he'd be eating big macs and stuff from the drive-thru m&ms he'd be eating chocolate muffins <laughs> so so the no dog you guys are are you have you had some big days i know this last year's been tough but if you had those really big days where you're killing 200 birds a day with seven guys where you're where you're reaching you're getting close to that 30 bird per man zone Put it this way. I've had days where that could have happened many times. And a lot of people could say that, right? Oh, that could have happened. No, I had the second day we had a, we had a good North wind, um, of the, uh, extended hunt and, you know, listen, here's the deal. And, and if these guys get to see this podcast, I absolutely love them. And, um, I'd love to say that we shot, you know, for five guys, you know, three times 550 geese so they were shitty shots go ahead no, what are their names no, no let's call no, them out what are their names no, let's call them no, out no, jerry jerry no. tim jason <laughs> here's the real deal um one of them was handicapped and uh it was probably the highlight of my two-year guide career starting as a guide uh he got the first band of his life that day and to me it was helping him and out, out of the blind was absolutely amazing i had some older gentlemen with me and, you know, sometimes it's, they that's like to have a pit lines because it's more comfortable for that's them. That's the great, that's the greatest thing in the world when you get to do yeah, that for somebody. Absolutely. And, and, you know, they end up killing 49 geese that day. And honestly, we should have had 150. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, I'd have a flock of specs on the deck, 15 yards out, five yards out, hovering over the decoys and two drop. You know, this makes it tough. You know, I got wave after wave of snow geese just doing it right. What are you doing with the birds as they die? Are they going in the pit? Are they going in the decoy spread? Or are you abiding by the laws of the federal government and keeping them in separate piles for a possession limit for each gunner? So you got to keep them separate is what we do. 
and I like to put them separate by guy. So I like to call out a name per pile. So what I'll do is put out, you know, they're one get Steve's geese over here, Jim's geese over here, and I'll put John and Joe's geese right over here. You know, there's their specs, how many specs they got, how many snows they got, and buy you gotta buy by the rules. Here's the deal. So those those piles don't mess up the approaching flocks? No, not if you put them in the right position. And again, it's not a it's not a pile like you think where you're taking a picture pile. It's more of a little bit of a spread out, but knowing exactly what I mean, as a guide, here's the thing, you gotta think of a lot of things. You know, not not just you know, you gotta But be those geese are supposed to be in the hunter's possession. Absolutely they are. They but are they're not in the possession. they're not in the possession. It's a little bit different though, Chad. It's not like what you're thinking? This is federal, though. Kansas. This, this is, is federal. Uh-huh. This is federal. But Kansas, here's the you get deal. my you get my drift here, though. This is why people don't like the freaking duck hunt because a game warden will come in there and make you feel like you're Charles freaking Manson if you yep. don't have your geese in the right spot. Yeah. If you if you put your geese out in the decoy spread and you're not over your limit, and then they're like, "Well, you're party hunting." Well, all waterfowl hunting is party hunting. That's why people do it. We're not yeah. going to go out there by ourselves. Yeah. We're, we're there for the camaraderie and the socializing, right? So yeah. where I'm going with that, Keller, is like, it's so dumb to me that you could actually get in trouble if a game warden walked in and said, hey, Jerry, go get your geese you shot. And then he runs out and he grabs one too many specs. Boom, he's in trouble. That's yeah. why they want him in separate straps or separate piles. But yeah. And I understand it. You don't want to go over your daily limit. But yeah. I'm talking like that's one of those rules that is going to make somebody go, you know what? F it. I'm done hunting, man. Y'all are, it's, it, it's too much. There's too many laws that you break as a duck. I've heard people say that they, that game, that they hear game warden say, I won't duck hunt. It's too easy to get in trouble. Yeah. Like, what does that tell you? What yeah. does it tell you that you want to make it that tough to be a duck hunter and goose hunter? That's, that's not the right way to do the sport. So that, I'm, I'm wondering if that's really what you're, of what you do, you know, because that's illegal. To, yeah. From what the way that I read the laws, yeah. it, you're telling me that you guys are not putting the geese in separate piles per hunter that he could reach back when a game warden walks into your pit and say, these are my 10 geese. That, isn't I'd that ask, weird I'd, though? I'd, I'd, yeah. And I'd ask a game warden, I say, well, with these nice liberal limits that we have of 150, where do you want me to put 150 geese? You know, let's just say that we're not still hunting. If I was my point, exactly. I, my point, exactly. Where, where do you want me to put them all? I'll give you another one. So in California, on our national and state, on our federal and state waterfowl uh, preserves, refuges, if you will, on our refuge system, do you know that you can only take out 25 shells per person? So yeah. but here, now, now here's the limit. You can shoot seven ducks. You can shoot 10 speckled belly geese on certain refuges outside of the box. Inside the box, you can shoot three. So for example, you can shoot seven ducks, three specks, and 20 snow geese on the refuge. With twenty five shells, twenty five shells. I don't well, know. You got to you, you gotta be shooting. double. You got to be doubling up. Exactly. I so, usually I usually shoot through three birds every shot. Scott, I've seen your shells. Three sprig every shot. I try to line up sprig. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get treated. Yeah. Oh, really? That's how you get treated. Like it's like the, you're 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 deemed guilty in this game until you're until you can prove they to somebody that you're in it for the yeah. right right but reasons. I will say this: we've ran into some great game wardens in. Uh, up in Northern California. Oh, guys California State Game Wardens are awesome, man. Yeah. But uh, we had one guy, I'll give you this, about four years ago, we're hunting the late season. It's just a fun hunt. And again, Stefan and I, before we started our call business, uh, we're blowing our calls and the guy below us, and literally he's not even a quarter mile below us, and, and the birds are floating over him and dive bombing us. You know, they're stalling out over him, looking at him, but then they're coming to us once they heard, once they heard our noise. So he calls the Game Warden 
on us. And maybe he, maybe he just did it because he was pissed because he wasn't getting them. But uh, I can tell you this, the game board comes out and I'm going, Hey guys, we got a fishing game coming out. And so we unload our guns, got out of our blinds and he goes, Hey guys, you guys are good. I guess I just, I got a phone call that you guys are over here using an e-collar. I jumped out of the blind. I started high-fiving there. I even high-fived the game warden. I was laughing so hard. I was so, I was ecstatic. Brian, I told you at the beginning of this podcast that there's no scripted advertisements in this, in this podcast. <laughs> There that's, is that's that's, that's just so everybody's listening out there. This is this is right typical now. California salesman Brian uh-huh. Keller right here. He waits until I'm really integrated into the conversation, then he drops an unpaid advertisement for yaw yaw calls. What he's trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, is that the calling sounded so realistic that most electronic callers, as snow hunters so rightfully know, is actual snow goose recordings of live audio of snow geese feeding or moving <laughs> around or grinding. So what he's saying is that him and his partners. Stefan, Steph on Stefan sound just like snow geese and I'll, I'll, that's fine. That's that. Sh- I want everybody to write in and say, if I deserve, if I, whether or not I deserve to send him an invoice for that. Cause that was like, that was, that was against radio rules right there. He did not <laughs> read the small print. So, so you're, you're piped up. You got, you're fired up with this. You got some days you kill them, some days you don't, some days you, you might kill a few. What is the protocol after? Is this, are you, are you piling them up and taking your pile picks? Are you getting excited guys to where they want memories in the field? Are you taking time as a guide and an outfitter to create that experience for them to, to have a wall hanger when they get home? Do some guys say, hey, keep that one out. Don't let it get too muddy in the rice mud and this rice straw. I want to get that one to the taxidermist and mount it. How, are you seeing all of that going on daily? That's got to be really rewar- rewarding as a guide. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's some days again, I'll go to the challenging part first. The challenging part first is you had a horrible day. Um, it's hard to, you know, uh, accept a tip at the end of that hunt day. A lot of guys want to tip you, even though you, you shot two birds and they're like, no, man, you guys really worked, worked your asses off. You know, you guys did us right. You, you know, you did everything that you guys are pure gentlemen. And I just, I so will tell them, you know, listen, I, I can't, I can't take your money. You know, I can't do that. My got my job is to get your birds, but on the rewarding hunts, you know, where you've gotten birds for these guys and, and, you, and you know it was a, a good day in, in a hunter's mind, when you know it's a good day in a hunter's mind, okay? Um, you did everything you could. Let's just say you shot 30, 40 birds for your clients. Some guys would say, you know, hey, maybe that's not good enough. I'll tell you what, 30 or 40, um, the guy should be happy. But to answer your question, at the end of the hunt, um, it's shaking hands, it's high fives. Um, it's, you know, Hey, we had a bad morning. Let's go back out this afternoon and hunt until this after- afternoon. And guys will go, really? You, you'll, you'll do that. Cause usually it's till like 11 or noon. And I'm like, oh, we'll, guide, we'll take- guides, guides nightmare. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we'll, we'll take you back out. It is, it, it can be, but, um, you know, our job is to work hard for these clients and not, not be phony or fake and, and, and really just show them the hunting experience of what we grew up doing, you know, give them, I, it's funny. It's like, you know, Stefan and I always say, you know, we could care less if we shot another snow goose. That's not true. But at the same time, it's more rewarding to see people shoot their first snow geese or snow goose, their first speckle belly goose, or to see that group come, come in. Like I'll give an example and I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but you know, two years ago, we stayed out all day for these two, two guys. The other two guys left. It was a slow day. And lo and behold, the last hour and a half of the day, we got a grind of a thousand doing it. And there's mixed spec snows. And, we're, and I'm, they're, they're, they're ready to land. And I'm going, guys, what do you want to shoot? You want to shoot the snows or the specs? Shoot the specs, shoot the specs. They shoot up and shoot six shots, you know, three piece. They miss. 
they're ready to cry. They're shaking. They're literally shaking. Like, you know, when you got a big flock of cannons, you got a mallards in the timber. Like when I've seen some of your shows back there, there's no better feeling, right? That's what we live for. And then you get to give these, give that to those guys and their experience. You know, that's, that's it right there. You give your experience to them, whether they can finish the deal or not, it's another thing. But at the end of the hunt, you know, that day we did it twice, by the way, we've had another, let's say 800 to a thousand birds do it again. And they missed again. And they're like, we'll be back next year. And they were just, they were, it's, it's that day when we've all had it happen, right? A gun break or something happened, something went wrong, or you couldn't get out to the field or you went out in the field. It was an epic day and you just couldn't hit your behind. And you just thought about it until the next year came around. That's what drives those, the passion and to be able to hand that off to somebody that's really never had that experience. I, I can tell you that 95% of our customers that come out with us, some of them are repeat customers, but most of them that come out with us are like, we've never seen anything like this. We never, we, yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. And it's, and it's about that you get to see it so much. And the trick is not to take it for granted because what we see Absolutely. on a daily basis, they're, they're just, they're, they're besides themselves when it happens one, one time in their life. Uh, exactly. Because most like, people don't see it. You fulfilled somebody's dream and you hope that they're able to either come back and hunt with you again, or that they're able to take that knowledge that you gave them from that day. And they can go take that and give that hand that, you know, down to their kids and the, the other generations. So now is it time to head to dinner? Do you guys go have a burger? Do you go have a cold beer at the local pub? You support a you know, local, buddy. a local business to where you take some clients out and actually get off your wallet. Cause you're usually sitting on it pretty hard. <laughs> Most people that have been around Brian Keller know that he doesn't have a wallet. Um, no, he's a very generous person, but are you, are you going out and celebrating with them? I'm not, you know, not overdoing it, but just going to have a cold beer to say bye that day. Or do they come? I know that you stay in a camper trailer most of the time. Are you going no. back to your compound and, and, and is it right to bed? Cause you're so exhausted and you got to be up the next morning. It just depends on the week and what the customers want to do. You know, if the, if the hunting has been really good, usually they'll take the birds. They're going to go back to Calusa and take them over to, you know, one of the places to clean their ducks or geese and, and get that done. Um, but, uh, and usually they're out of there because they only live two hours away. So it's not like they're staying around for the night. Um, sometimes it'll stay two nights in a row. Sometimes we might go have a cold beer with them, you know, after the hunt or something like that, but just one and maybe a burger or something where, like that. Where? Give me an idea of where. Oh gosh. The last stand up in, uh, in Willows is the absolute best burger in, in that in Glen County. The last stand. The last stand. They got cold beer. They got ice cold beer. Great service. It's an awesome spot. Everybody sits outside and watches football. Is it the one where you walk up and get get the burger out of a window? You walk no, that you're probably thinking of uh, Jeff's in Calusa. No, I'm thinking of the Last Stand. It's kind of like like did it used to be like an old? I thought it's an, it's 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 an older building. It's been there for a long time. It's right on the it's right on a corner, but the burgers there for now. And they got tables outside, right? Like a, a underneath you, little cover. It's called the Last Stand because you stand up. You outside. stand up, yeah. You stand. There's standing tables. Yeah, the nickname is called the stand-up, but we call it. Yeah, the, I've seen I've seen that place. I've never been there. I, I was going to go there one day, and it was too crowded. It was too packed up. Yeah, it, it does get packed. So you're, packed. so now what with, with your birds? Are you're saying that all your clients take all their birds? They take all their birds. Some people say, "Hey, do you want a few, or do you want to take some for yourself?" You know, we might take some. You know, we we've been having our snow geese made into chorizo and. and sausage and sticks and we like to eat them um just as they are breasted out etc you know we like to eat our speckle belly geese too i love to do a smoke speck uh breast side down you know a whole whole pig smack speck but 
who's doing your who's doing that work for you? So we have uh, Finfur Taxidermy, Brent Nobles down in uh, Calusa that does a lot of the, the processing and, and whatnot down in Calusa. So he, you know, he's 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 a good dude. We've known him for a long time, and uh, he, he does a great job. So we he's did, the original owner of that taxidermy shop. That's by the old yeah. right behind Kittles. Yep, right behind. Used to be right next, right kind of inside Kittles on the outside of the corner there. Now he's just on the opposite corner of it on the back side. Brent Nobles, he's a great guy. So if any of you guys are out in Northern California, it's a great spot to go to. Yeah, it really is. And how awesome is Pat Kittle? What a great place, huh? Pat's a great guy. I mean, he's as calm and cool as collective as a guy, you know. And you, you walk in there and he just kind of, hey, what's happening, you know? He always takes the time for you, um, no matter how busy he is. And you can tell sometimes he's he, he's pretty busy. Um, but even during, like, the, the calling contest, the state calling contest in August, he's always willing to say hi and, and be nice. And he does good business with us. And he's, he's been a good partner. So so you made mention a few a few hours ago. It seems like it's been that long talking to you. No, just kidding again, Brian. <laughs> um, you said you're two-year short guiding career. Why are you done guiding already? I'm not done guiding. So, I no, I didn't call it short. I said our two-year short career that we've been guiding. Oh, I thought you meant like you're out of it now. No, like no, no, no. We're not out of it. Not out of it at all. We're actually we're actually gearing up for – we'll see what 2020, 2021 brings. You know, we don't know what this virus is. What's going to oh, happen. Oh, stop it. We're going to be good. Oh, Let's, be Let's be optimistic. Let's be optimistic. I'm not one of those. But I, I will say this. You give a chance to the left to, to throw out throw – the, throw the book at us – here in California, you know, here's the deal. You got 200 guys standing in line at a, at a refuge. What are they supposed to do? They're going to have six feet markers all apart. You camp in the parking lot at night. You know, you're not going to have camping now. What are you, you going to do? Where are you going to line guys up out on the street? I, I don't know. So how, how are they going to handle that? Now they, they, they've done a little bit, a little bit with fishing. Like if you're not from that County, we may start ticketing you. So I hear. You know, if you're not from that area, you can't use that launch ramp because now everybody's going to that one launch ramp and it, here, here's everybody. So, I mean, if you ask me, you know, this whole thing, I think, you know, it eventually will pass. But, you know, hey, you know, I hope I hope that nothing's affected through hunting and I hope that uh, we get our season and, and everything goes as planned. But, you know, we'll see. But no, there's no two year short guiding career. Our plan is to keep it going strong to build our. Um, and and our where are you going to be guiding? Same area? Same, same areas, you know, general area. Now, do you have your own outfitting service? Is this, is this a business that you own with Stefan? So Stefan and I own KO Outdoors LLC, and then we own Yeah Yeah Calls under that umbrella. So is KO Outdoors your guiding company? That's not our guiding company, but our guiding company does, you know, we just, everybody calls us Yeah Yeah Calls. That's what everybody calls us. So now are you booking hunts under yayacalls.com right now? We're going to book them under probably KO Outdoors and we're going to create our own site here. Is KO Outdoors the initials of both of your last names or does it mean that you knocked the geese out? Are you saying that you knocked the geese out, Brian Keller? (laughs) What's Stefan's last name? uh, It's actually, Stefan was pretty clever in thinking of it, you know, KO Outdoors and um, KO yeah, K O outdoors. Is his last name an O? His last name is Oribo. O R E B O. Yeah. Wait, is that is that Italian or Basque or what? No, he's actually uh, Creole. Creole. Yep. He's Aribo. actually Creole. Yeah. So KO Outdoors is going to be your guide service. So this is a new guide service in California because you weren't you weren't you guiding for somebody else before? Yeah, we were guiding for uh, Fish Dog Outdoors. Who? Fish Dog Outdoors. Never heard of it. Um. So you're done with Fish Dog. Yeah, we're not we're not guiding there anymore. 
Um, we had a two year great run and, uh, you know, it's, it's time to do, do this on our own. Um, you know, Ben's been, Ben was a good, really good guy to us. And I have, we have not a bad word to say about Ben or, you know, him and his, his outfit, they get after the speckled belly geese. They do a really good job on that. Um, but oh, I think ben, this guy, Ben owns this, this, this dog, yeah, deal, this yeah, dog fish. So we were more of like fish dog. a contractor, if you will. Okay. So we were contracted basically. Okay. So we decided that we do a two year deal. Um, but you know, snow goose hunting is a different animal than just speckle belly goose hunting. It's a completely different animal. You know, you, it's oh, not, so you, you, you don't like the ability not to move around. Is that what I'm reading into this? No, not at all. What, what, what you're probably reading into this is that it's something that we think that we can build a little bit bigger. Um, we can take it and go do it on our own. Um, we've learned a lot. Can, of last so now, years. so you're telling me right now on this podcast, this episode of the Fowl Eye podcast yeah. that you and Stefan, Brian Keller and Stefan Obino, Aribo, Aribo, Aribo are starting a new guide service that it will be yeah. in business in the 2021 season called yeah. KO outdoors. Yep. Men and women groups are going to be able to book the hunts with you. Yep. They can are you start building now. They can contact us on Facebook, on KO Outdoors LLC, or Yeah Yeah Calls on Facebook. And are you leasing land up there? Are you going to have guaranteed yeah. leases to hunt? Or are you free? Yes. What are you doing? You've got yeah, leases. Yeah, we got leases. Hmm. Yep. If I was face-to-face -face with you right now, I'd shake you a little bit to get a little more information out of you and some change out of your pockets. Yeah, what do you need? How much you need? Seventy-five thousand dollars. Never seen you reach into your pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, talking to you makes me think of a couple things. Javier's, Javier's in in in, in uh, Newport. Newport. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. What was the appetizer they did for us? Those lobster that night. So they did a lobster appetizer. I don't remember the exact seasoning and the and the, and the chilies they used, but it was I remember it was chilies and the lemon wit. Oh my God! And then. It was like the you got us a tequila shot each that was like 125 bucks, which is I mean I don't I'm not a tequila guy at all, and it was smooth. And then the sushi in Seal Beach, what's the name mahe. of it? Mahe. Huh? Mahe, like the it, like the Dorado fish. Mahe. Mahe. Is it still yeah. there? It's still there. Oh gosh, it's good. It's yeah, it's it's damn good. Phenomenal. Yeah, love it. Absolutely. We've been to some it. good times together. We went to Slash yeah. at a uh, at the Forum Slash yeah. Open for Aerosmith. Aerosmith was the best, though. John, no, Slash is the best, but uh -oh. Aerosmith is awesome. But Johnny Aerosmith. Depp, Johnny Depp came out that night and played with Aerosmith. Remember? Yep, yep. That was cool. We've been to some other concerts. Um, lots of cool hunts. We've been to Iowa together. We yep. got to go to. Are you going to start going to Canada again? Well, if they open it back up, that's another thing. They will stop saying if, dude. You negative, Nancy. No, here's the deal. You know, it's you know, I'm not, I'm not hating on this deal right now. You know, it might be nice to get these birds. I'd like to see, here's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see if the birds react a little bit different. Just think about it, okay? They get pounded in Canada. We know that because you and I have hunted there many, many times. You hunt a different region than I did, different province. Some here. of them get pounded, but there's Some so many up there. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. But that's their first educational piece. Then they get into the Dakotas or Washington or Oregon. I'm just kind of putting on a longitude, latitude line. I, I'm fall. I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yeah. So, you know, by the time they get down to the wintering grounds, guys are wondering, why aren't we shooting as many mallards? Why aren't we shooting as many things? Again, I'd like to see a year like the old days where they don't get pounded in Canada. All so, the you're way say, so you're saying that you, your hopes are that no Americans can go to Canada. No, you selfish no, son no, of a no, bitch. no, no, no. Don't put that on my back. That's kind of what you just said. You don't no, want the birds to be pressured like in Canada. To no, I just said I would just like to see the difference 
of what and, in order for you to react. see in order for you to see that you would have to have no americans allowed in canada right right that would be terrible Yes, that it would be terrible. terrible. That's Brian Keller. We're going to have I an ongoing little series. Right What's that? I can see you laughing and smiling at me right now. No, I'm not laughing. I just think, I, <laughs> I'm going to, I'll get you in trouble. Yayacalls.com. Find them on Facebook, KO Outdoors and Yaya Calls. Am I getting it right? Are you on Instagram, yeah, Brian? Yeah, yeah, Calls on Instagram. How as do well? you spell Yaya? Yeah, yeah. Y A Y A capitals. Yaya? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, a lot of people say yeah, 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 sounds that's Cajun. I would think that the Creole guy would be like, yeah, 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 there you go. Does, does Stefan move his mouth when he talks? Yes, you got the gumball there in the rule. He's a great partner. I like Stefan. So, yeah, yeah, calls Y A Y A. What are you on Instagram? Same thing, yeah, yeah, calls on Instagram. We have two different Facebook pages, which is KO Outdoors LLC, and then Yeah Yeah Calls, and then we have Instagram, which is Yeah Yeah Calls. All right, book a hunt with KO Outdoors LLC right now through Facebook. You can direct message Brian or Stefan. Get your spec on. Get your snow goose on. Get to Northern California. Experience some badass hunting, big grinds, great culture, great food in the area, great bars in the area, great people in the area, great farmers in the area. Support. And I mean support no matter where you live in this country. If you're listening to this podcast right now, become a member. $35 a year is all it is of California Waterfowl Association. Remember, everything starts in California and moves eastward. They are fighting rigorously behind the scenes daily in advocacy, in conservation, in farming, in youth hunters, in mentorship programs. Anything that you can think of from egg salvage to a woman's camp or to a college camp where they bring liberal people out of the UC Davis campus, 40 of them to be exact, and introduce them to this awesome lifestyle. And they have a 38 to 40% retention off of that hunt daily or yearly, excuse me, meaning that 40% of those hunters that go on their first hunt, and these are kids that are in their right around 22 years old, most of them are seniors, they have 40% of them return and buy a hunting license the next year. They didn't grow up in a hunting family. They never, they never hunted in their lives. They barely shot a gun or been around a gun. Mentorship is key. So think about that. California Waterfowl is doing this daily for hunters like you, for hunters like me, for hunters like the ones that came before us and the ones that come after us so support conservation organizations and efforts such as california waterfowl find them at calwaterfowl.org you can find them at calwaterfowl on instagram check them out become a supporter slap that decal on your rig or your trailer put that copenhagen in your lip or that red man in your cheek and you know just fit that perfect image and that stereotype of a duck hunter or don't chew and just have a piece of straw in your mouth Sing a country song, hum a country song, grow a gray beard like my guest today, Brian Keller has, and I'm starting to get, I'm only 35, he's 47. <laughs> Brian, I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, calls. Dude. Check them out. Yeah, yeah. Book a hunt. This has been another episode of The Foul Life. Please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support us. Like I talked about, Gerber Gear, Benelli, Federal, Mojo, Realtree, Corning Ford, Merlot Waterfowl. Yeah, yeah, calls are with us. We got KO Outdoors on the show today. I love you guys. I love you girls. Thank you so much for the support. Tom, hit the button. This is 2 a.m. Logic, My Foul Life. I'm Chad Belding. Thank you all very much. <laughs> <laughs>